0: so you can make your creative dreams possible. Go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level to learn more and enroll now. Enrollments are open for only a short time, so please, if you're interested and you're ready to take your interiors to the next level, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level. Welcome to Imprint with Natalie Walton, a podcast about creating a life you love. This is episode four. Just a quick reminder that before we start today's episode, that while my book, Still, The Slow Home, has recently launched in Australia, it is still available for pre-order in the rest of the world. And that if you buy it at this pre-sale stage, you can register for some exclusive gifts, including a mini styling masterclass and a behind-the-scenes PDF. PDF. Plus, you will go into the draw for a free consultation on a topic of your choice. All the details are at nataliewalton.com forward slash still. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me today. I'm continuing a conversation from my book still with Emma Lane. Some of you may know her from The Farm which is a working farm on a property in Byron Bay that houses a collection of micro-businesses that are all focused on a common goal of grow, feed, educate. It's a space where people can visit and pre-COVID-19 was incredibly popular with locals and visitors to the area alike. It's on a reduced capacity at the moment due to COVID, but I very much look forward to seeing it in full operation hopefully very soon. Emma is someone that I have a huge admiration for. She's got an incredible sense of her own personal style and has a really strong vision with whatever she creates, as well as an incredible sense of execution with whatever she does too. She really sees everything through and creates magic with pretty much everything that she does. So I was very much interested to hear about her own creative journey and what had influenced her as well as some of the obstacles that she had faced along the way. So I hope that you enjoy this interview and I will connect with you all at the end. Hi Emma, thank you so much for allowing me to come over to your home. We're actually recording in, what do you call this space, The Barn? This room? Yeah,
1: this is The Barn studio actually. This was this was meant to be my art studio but as sometimes happens, it got a bit too perfected and so the studio's actually moved, my studio's moved to another spot and it's a little bit more rough and ready. Yeah. So this is more, um, well at the moment it's, it's a classroom because okay. of the homeschooling. Yeah. But um generally it's a place that it's a guest studio really.
0: no it's, it's lovely and uh, we still get to enjoy the lovely yeah. outlook that yes. you have from the main house because it's kind of mm. um, on the same line as, as the house so um, so yeah one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you obviously is because your home features in my book still mm-hmm. which I'm very grateful for so thank you so much for that and um, and I this podcast is very much a way to continue some of the conversations mm-hmm. that we have within the book, because um, obviously there's only so much space and so much of a word count. But uh, like I said, the, the home features and I interviewed you for that. And also I asked you to contribute an essay, mm-hmm. So, which was I really enjoyed reading your words about how you've incorporated sustainability within the actual property and the house itself Mm -hmm. but today I want to talk a little bit more about you and your creative journey Mm because I'm you know I've always amazed and impressed with all you achieve and you've got such a strong sense of aesthetic and your own style And I'm really interested about your journey and how that's come to be. Mm -hmm. So first of all, I wondered if you could tell me a little bit about your childhood, because I'm always interested to Mm -hmm. know if that's actually informed, you know, how that's informed who Mm -hmm. you are today and perhaps even your own creativity.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, I grew up in England. So um, that's where I was born, to English parents. And I had, you know, an idyllic First probably eight or nine years of my life, you know living in the countryside, and unfortunately it was uh, my mother died when I was nine, so she was in a boating accident, so suddenly life changed quite abruptly, and really, I left home when I was ten years old because I went to boarding school and um, in so many ways it, it was um, a sad time, but it was it was really exciting in that I had to become who I was quite quickly and get that sense of purpose in my life. And there was lots of little questions that came up for a young person. And I guess being away from home, I I sort of grew up quite quickly and um, creativity was one of the things that really helped me. So um, art, so I loved drawing and um, at the school, I had my own little section in the art room and um, so that's where it all started for me. It was like a sadness but also, yeah, really sort of opening, blossoming stage in my life.
0: Was it fostered by somebody? Did you have somebody who really encouraged that with you?
1: Uh, I did, well, interestingly, my, my mother was an artist and um, up until she died, I didn't really feel like I possessed much creativity or, or artistic um elements in my life but it was like almost like the gift was handed over when when she passed away and um and so it sort of came out quite in you know i started to draw and there was a particular art teacher who who became somebody that really uh, nurtured that in me and gave me this little space in the art room and really pushed me i guess um to sort of heal myself through that process. So yeah, it was very much um, a big part of of how it all began for me.
0: So how then did you go from obviously this creativity in school, then how did that journey continue on with your creativity?
1: So yeah, so at school I, yeah, it was a really strong part of my life. So it, it was what sort of took me through my schooling. And I had some really great mentors, one my art teacher and then I had an English teacher And um, she said to me, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know whether to to go and read English or go to art school. And she said, well, I know of this course called Creative Advertising, and I think it would be perfect for you. So um, I went for an interview, and it was just the amalgamation of all the things that I loved. So it was really great advice. Um, I felt really fortunate to have such a great teacher um, who could really, you know, see the things that I was interested in, what were my strengths. So I... um, I went to university and studied this course called Creative Advertising. And the element that I loved best was the whole idea generation. So there was a concept of, you know, business would have a new idea and or a branding exercise and I'd have to come up with the name and the strap line and the, that's where I, I just loved every aspect of that. So it was looking like, you know, advertising was going to be my career. So after the three-year course, I then... Um, rather than sending a CV in, I actually wrote a poem to apply for my jobs, all these jobs. And they had these systems in London called um, Greenie programs, where the graduate would come along and be in this year program before they started you know, having the big jobs with the clients. And so um, I applied for these um, various jobs in some of my favorite agencies. And then I, I was asked for, in, for an interview to as more of a copywriting and I was like no 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 I don't, I don't want I want to be more on the you know the art direction so um, it's funny so words and art have always from an early age have combi- combined for me so I would maybe you know create a piece of artwork and then write over it or write a poem or yeah so I was sort of ended up in that field with some good guidance.
0: And So obviously that's working very much within a commercial area though. So did you carve out time for your own personal creativity during that time, or did it take a bit of a backseat to more of the commercial creativity?
1: Um, I mean, definitely the commercial, you know, you have to earn a living. So that was obviously happening, but I've always managed to find little ways of being creative. So we all have the same room. And friends of mine would go, Emma, like, why does yours look completely different? Because yeah. I'd, you know, go in and I'd style it and have certain things in the room that would just pull it together in, in the way that I liked. And then I would, you know, as when I was working, I still had my little painting practice that I would do. And then I started photography as well. So I always had those little elements as hobbies that I just kept working with along the way.
0: And so what precipitated your move to Australia? How did that all come about?
1: Oh, yeah, well, I had this funny little dream board. I don't know, a friend of mine said to me, you should put all your dreams on the on a pin board because in those days, you know, it was everything was actually, wasn't a pin board on Pinterest. Yes. It was actually a physical pin board. So I had, I remember this one image and I think the location was Perth and it was a beach house and it had these little, starfish kind of etched out that you could look through the house and you could see the ocean below. And I just thought that was the most incredible thing to, to live right next to the ocean. But in Australia, a lot of the cities are close to the ocean, whereas that's not the case in England. Yeah. And I just thought, wow, I'd, that would be the most amazing life if you could work and live by the ocean. And also Australia being somewhere that was a long way away from home, I um, I felt like I needed to have this adventure before I settled down and had a family back in England. But little did I know, when I left for my sabbatical year, that I would end up staying. And um, 20 years later, I'm still here.
0: And so, did you go straight into working in the advertising industry when you came to Australia, or how did that? How well, did your career? Cycle? Yeah.
1: So I had a year off, um, and. I actually planned to work for six months of the, that year, but um, the exchange rate was so great at the time that I ended up traveling for like nine months and I just fell in love with Australia. I loved it. And then I was at the end of that nine months, I was like, well, oh, do I work for a couple of months and head back or do I go back now? And, and I ended up going back to England. And I felt really like this craving for the country and my, my father said to me, you know, so." how was it? What was it like? And I was like, I've fallen in love. And he was like, oh, and who is this person? <laughs> I was like, no, it's the country. I just love it. I just love everything about it. And he said to me, well, like any love, you need to go back and get it out of your system and you know, have a couple of years there and then return. So I packed my bags again and headed back. And that's when I um, I realized I had a couple of months left on my sponsorship visa to get a job. And I ended up Going back into advertising here, working for George Patterson Bates, and um, and had a had a little stint here.
0: Yeah, and so when did you meet Tom in all of this?
1: Ah, yes. Well, I, I moved into an apartment that that had that that little dream aspect that I'd had on my mood board. I didn't have the the starfish shell that you look through, but um, I could see the ocean. And um, off I'd go to work every day, and. Um, Tom was actually living in the building. So, um, oh, so yeah, we met actually over some chickens. <laughs> <laughs> I'd been to the Quite Easter.
0: Profession. Yes, it, it
1: was to the fact that we, we ended up um, having a farm together. But, um, yeah, I, I brought these chickens at the Easter show. Everyone was like, you've got to go. It's very traditional Australian to go to the Easter show. And um, I overheard in the animal nursery a chap was going to buy these day old chicks. And um, feed them to his snake. So I stepped in and paid for the chickens, baby chicks, took them home. And I had this huge TV what was it? Yeah, it was a a TV box that um, I put the chickens in and realized that they grow quite quickly. And then I put a little little, um, note on the notice board in the apartment building saying, Does anyone have a farm? I have a couple of chicks. And then next thing, Tom's knocking on my door, saying, "Yes, I, I happen to have a, a farm. Um, my parents do, so um, I'm happy to take them off your hands." Oh, and wow. that's how that's how I met Tom. <laughs> it's
0: such a great story, yeah. and it, like I said, it's so prophetic that the fact that that kind of became the theme within your. Life yes, many
1: I know. It was the start of our relationship. Okay. So, by you know, brought, drawn together by chickens. Um, we then started um, a friendship. We were friends for actually a year and a half before we got together, okay. which was, you know, really lovely because I didn't really have much of a community in in um, the area and or in this country, and and he just took me into his life, you know, which was really lovely as friends.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm. And so then, um, where is that then on your journey together? How long were you in Sydney before you moved up here? So it's funny. Yeah. I I
1: look at life in chapters, and I seem to have a ten year change. You know, every ten years things change. So I actually had something like eighteen, no, sixteen, sixteen, seventeen years in in Sydney. So I'd been, um, you know, I was on my in my first year of being in Sydney, and it was a big year because I I became a citizen, Australian citizen. I really wanted to be here on my own right, not you know, marry Tom. Yes. Or a, so um, yeah, we. But we—I um, think it was about two years later—we got married. Yeah, and I was an Australian citizen at that point, and um, then had started, you know, started a family and had that big chapter—the biggest chapter I've had yet in yeah. Sydney. Yeah, mm. and interestingly, Sydney was very slow-paced, at the, you know, those years ago, all those years ago. And I left London because London was definitely much faster. It was, it really was a rat race. I mean, just traveling on the tube and the amount of people. And so I was really, I, I think when I came to Australia, I really felt that peace and that, oh my gosh, it's so vast and there's all this space. And to have a city like Sydney where you have the ocean and you can travel, you know, to work in a city and there wasn't really a lot of cars on the road at that point And then over the 16 years, it just got faster and faster and faster. And to the point where I was like, gosh, this is like the pace that I left London. Right. Um, And by which stage, you know, we had children and we were starting to think about what sort of lives we wanted our children to have. And we used to reminisce often about our childhood and how we'd grown, grown up in these open spaces where the chickens ended up, Tom's parents have a farm in Braidwood and, he, you know, they've had that for over fifty years, and um, he's got a lot of really fond memories of his time growing up there. And I was in the, you know, the green belt outside England, um, and so we were like, okay, what what's the next chapter for for us and the children? And um, you know, we had at this point we I had four children. We decided to buy a holiday house in Byron. And the idea was that travel would be hard with four children, and expensive. And what about we had this memory of going to the same place every holiday? So we bought this little farm, thirty-acre farm, um, in the hills of Federal, and decided to yeah have this little chapter of growing our own veggies and living in nature and um,
0: yeah. So that's really the next
1: part of the story.
0: Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of where the book picks up and talks a little bit about then that, that change from going and living, you know, in federal and then buying this property. Mm. And, but one of the things we were talking the other day about patience mm. and you spent a long time waiting to find the right place. Mm. Do you want to talk a little bit about mm. patience? Yes, patience. She's a
1: wonderful attribute in my life. Um, No, I don't think I always possessed her. Um, It's something I've learned to to have. But um, I guess the house was a really good example of how patience does pay off in the end. Um, So we, when we brought the house in federal, we we had actually planned. We had the same brief as we did um, for this house, which was we really wanted to be fifteen minutes from Byron and beyond the hills looking out hopefully with a little glimpse of the ocean and um, we just couldn't find it we were searching and searching and um, it was funny actually because the agent that was helping us took us down a driveway and she said is this the sort of thing you're after and we were like yeah no that this this is exactly what we're after and she goes oh unfortunately it's not for sale this one we're like oh okay but 10 years down the track, this is, this is the range, this is the house we, know, we now own because it was actually the agent's property. And when we left Federal and we decided it was having moved permanently there, um, it was a little bit far out for four children in schools that were in Byron. So um, we, we actually started the search again. And when we were about to give up, it was probably about two years that we were searching again. Um, We contacted that agent and said, just wondering, you know, before we give up on our our search, and we were actually thinking of buying a farm a little bit further out and maybe buying more of a beach house. And she said, oh, remind me of your your brief. So we went over, you know, what we wanted and, and she said, oh, you know, I'm about to put my property in the market and it's all of those things. And, she, you know, we realised at that point it was the property she'd driven us down the driveway all those years ago and we went, yes, that's what we want. <laughs> so it was there all along. It was waiting, you know, it was waiting for us. Um, but it, the time wasn't right. And we had to, you know, we had a really important chapter in Federal, which was when we decided to grow our own veggies and um, with the help of a local lady. And that's where really the idea of the farm came about. So without that chapter... know a lot of things wouldn't have
0: happened so it's all meant to be really yeah I I think that a lot sometimes Mm. that sometimes you can have things happening in your life and you kind of question was that a waste of time you know Mm. should we would it have been better if we went straight to this other thing but then when you look back you can sort of see that actually that facilitated something else Mm. and it's funny how things work out do you believe in fate yeah, I do. And I, d- I believe in the divine
1: right order. I mean, uh, people sort of talk about that. I'm, I believe that it is, it is a, there's a perfect plan already set. And I think that's where flow is really important, because if we resist that, then we don't ever really get into flow. But if we allow that divine right order to, to, to float us on that path, I think it all works out. And so you can't be too rigid in, in the way that
0: you move forward in your life, I think. So tell me a bit about that divine right order what's what's the idea behind that The idea is I mean it's
1: it, that that everything is already set but with the right intention and following your true path and purpose you will go on that path if that makes sense So how does that help with say
0: de- decision making
1: Um I think it's the the authenticity and believing in what you're doing is really what you were set out to be. So if, um, it goes really back to trusting your gut instincts, I think. So It was that was a lesson I learned quite young was that when I went against my gut instincts, I, I always sort of made the wrong decision. But if you trust your gut instincts and you're in touch with your, your purpose and you follow that path, then the decisions are quite easy. You know, if you check in with yourself and you say, Okay, how, what do I do in this situation? The first thing that comes up is usually the right thing to do.
0: Yeah,
1: and I think we we had that when we were born. We had that ability to sense the right thing for ourselves and others, but we just lost track a little bit along the way by the complications of life. And and then if we can try and get centered back to ourselves and check in, I think that that we are. But it's easier to, to navigate the path of life.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm really fascinated by this this mm. idea because mm. I think that decision-making is so hard for mm. so many and um, I think as life goes on, you're kind of faced with more and more decisions mm. and bigger and bigger decisions mm. and we kind of live in a world that we're bombarded all the time by mm-hmm. so much information and so much... Um, insight into other people's lives that sometimes it can be helpful when you sort of learn about other people's Mm. journeys and the lessons that they've learned but other times I feel like it can take us off course of what's Mm. actually right for us Mm. and um yeah so anything that sort of relates to decision making I think is really interesting and and that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about Mm. because obviously you have to make so many decisions both in your personal life Mm. in your home um, and your home life and, and relation to you know, the farm project that you've got and what is it that guides you when you're making decisions? Do you have certain values or, mm. or ideas that you sort of think that's your check-in point or something that you always kind of go back to thinking this is what's most important? Yeah, I mean it's interesting because when I, when I set up businesses, um,
1: you know, which we've done a few over the years, that's one of the first things I do is, is I have a mission statement so you can almost relate it to your own life as well. So you have a mission statement. What am I here to do? And then, well, what is that business here to do? What, what do you want to achieve with that? And then then I always write a set of values for that business. And they're usually the businesses that Tom and I have created together, like the farm and the beach house and to a certain extent, even the range or home, you know, they're, they're values that are quite personal. So there are elements of the business that are very much in tune with our own personal living. Um, so with those values, once you've got a, a set of values established, you can then check in. Every decision that you make along the way can be set up against those values to sort of check in and go, okay, you know, is that employer the right person? Is that is How's that friendship sitting with you? You know, is, is that person adding to your life and you're adding to theirs? Because it's, it's dual, you know, it's the dance of life. So um, I find... Even though it probably sounds very structured, um, that is something that I definitely do, you know, have this mission statement and have these
0: values that help me keep on track, yeah. So what about then obstacles and challenges? Mm. Are there any that, you know, I I think we all face obstacles and challenges. Um, They can be things that are out of our control Mm. or sometimes they can be within our own mind do you, want, do you care to share any of the ones that you've experienced or um, or how you've overcome them, what yeah. kind of mindset that you or questions you say to yourself or things you say to yourself? Um, I think
1: one of the things that obstacles for me has been um, perfectionism. So I, I think from a very young age I was really hard on myself and doing I – don't, I don't know where that came from. Maybe it was my father was was very um, military precision. You know, his father was in the military and everything was very regimented and, and you do everything to the best of your ability, which I think is a great thing to do, but that can, that can cause a lot of heartache. And I realised um, that it doesn't have to be perfect. You just have to give it a go and, you know, give it your best shot. And I think that was very much... The first time I've really let go of perfectionism was probably doing our book the The farm community because I I think if I'd aimed for perfection it just would never have happened and um, I just went well this is a book about not just about me it's about a community of people that work at the farm and so it's not perfect because there's many different personalities and there's you know this joining of people it's it's it is what it is and so once I'd got my head around that and I realized well, that, that book is, is great in its own right. You know, that could be the pathway to another book that I've learned the lessons. So I think, you know, just talking to yourself and reassuring yourself that, um, you know, it's not, it doesn't have to be perfect as long as you get
0: going on it and, and then you can move towards that element in your life and is that something that you've just kind of worked through yourself or have you done like had any mentors or done readings or particular things that have helped you with that mm.
1: i think tom my husband has been great for that because he's he's kind of the opposite he he just gives everything a go and um isn't too attached to the outcome and so he's been a great teacher for me because he'll be like oh come on emma you're, you're stuck with that you know like just let it go a bit like it doesn't have to be Absolutely, 100% perfect. So I think, you know, our relationship is a great relationship for the balance. And, um, you know, we started as friends, great friends, and we're we're now uh, life partners and we have a family together. And so having him by my side to help navigate that area in my life, perfection area, um, is is a great um, union, I think.
0: And, mm. and what about sort of your relationship? Because obviously you got I mean, how long have you guys been together now? Well, we have been together for 19 years, so 20 next year. Yeah. Mm. And what would you say are some of the, the lessons that you've learned in being in this kind of successful relationship? Like how do you navigate different personalities or, you know, is there anything that you have mm. kind of learned in the process?
1: Well, I think it's um, quite early on um, recognizing each other's strengths and then playing to those. So often in a relationship, the the thing that attracts you is the opposites, and there can be a period of time that you almost attack each other for your opposites. But actually, if you can turn the mindset around to go, "Okay, well, that's something that I'm lacking that he's great at," um, and then use that to to propel you both forward and your family forward, then that that's a great way to be um, and I think that's the thing that sometimes can unwind a couple they sort of just hang on to each other's oh my god you're like that and, and then um, it, it ends up being quite disruptive so I think you know there's a reason why you chose your partner and I don't think that really changes it's whether you sort of change and evolve together and that really is a mutual respect I think
0: yeah, yeah, and you guys have certainly sort of been on quite a journey together, yeah. so being in business together mm. as well. Has that presented any challenges sort of being business partners as well as life partners and parents?
1: I guess, um, again, it's respecting each other's strengths, playing to the strengths. So, so yeah, we, we take it in turns. We pass the baton. It was like when the kids were young and, you know, you're monitoring a child that's near open water you know, we, we pass the bat on and it was usually a hat, you know, put the hat on. And we kind of still do that. Um, so sometimes we're together and if we're together, um, well, often we're together, but for, for a, say, business perspective, um, we try and make all those within the time that the children are at school. Um, and if something is later, then one will go and then the other one will update the other person. I think you, know, we've figured out a way to coexist and work to each other's strengths really well. Um, I'm trying to think of particular challenges that have happened along the way. May I, maybe I've blocked those out, but um, I think we're pretty lucky. You know we really have been a good team. But I am conscious now that we don't want to push that to its limits, you know, like we've got, you know three big projects happening at the moment. And we're across all of them and, you know, the children. And um, I think we both want to sort of shift a gear down now um, and just balance life out a little bit. I mean, it's been a wonderful life moving here to Byron and having that balance. But then you start taking on all these projects and suddenly you're in that almost that fast mode again. So I think we both sort of, and particularly this time at home, the last month, has, we've sort of re re know revisited what we
0: want for the next chapter of our life yeah sounds interesting yeah (laughs) care to share anything well I think
1: I think we want to um, spend a lot more time here on the range and fulfill some of the dreams that we want to do here which is a little bit aligned with the farm I mean it's funny because when we first bought the farm we we planned to live there and we you know we had plans for a house and you know, Charlie was going to be head of um, transport and driving all the buggies and Matilda was going to be working in the restaurant and Lulu was on egg collecting and we had a, as a family this and George I almost forgot about George then but he yeah, he had a role too and and then it we sort of handed the farm over to the community in that it's now a community of businesses that work there for the community and we realised that One, it was really busy there, but, um, you know, it wasn't entirely our own project. And this is what we have here at the range is it's ours. It's our little sanctuary on the hill. You know, we want to grow more vegetables here. We've planted an olive plantation. We've got our citrus orchard. And, you know, we just love creating things and pulling together like this little dream. So it's been a bit neglected. I mean, the house is all done. And I mean, although there's still... Um, projects of the house to be done um, there's the land and the land here for us you know is really important
0: Yeah and one of the things as well sort of talking about relationships was I it's very hard with Instagram sometimes because obviously you everyone sees a very edited mm. version but you do seem to have quite a good close-knit friendship of female friends mm. as well mm. and um, is that being you know easy to find friends here and and if so like how are they important to you
1: yes they I have a lovely group of friends here and they're all like-minded creative souls and I feel really lucky to have them in my life um it, it wasn't a thing that happened straight away like I think when I first arrived in Byron I was I was just like yes I'm here and I People had given me the advice to just hold back and see what comes to you. But I was like, yes, I'll come to that. And I sort of, and then I spent a bit of time sort of almost backstepping. And then I almost created more space to allow those friendships to come in. And um, and I feel like I've got a really, yeah, really close collection of girls um, that are in my life, um, which has taken time. You know, we've been here five years now and um, probably in the last year I feel like they've really, you know, cemented, I've really cemented those friendships, and there's always room to have more friends in your life, but I feel really sort of held and supported with this group of girls. Yeah, I've still got beautiful friends in Sydney, but it's very hard with the family to to stay, you know, connected and be always popping up there and Actually, I used to do that in the first year. I, I I used to pop to Sydney quite a lot. You you have to at some point go. Okay, this is my life here now. You can still service those friendships and be in their lives, but you also have to make time for the you know the people that are in your life here and now. So, um, yeah,
0: yeah. No, it's interesting because I think that as you get older as well, you perhaps sometimes have different needs with mm. friendships as well, like as opposed to say when you're in your twenties and. Um, Yeah, I I think it's an interesting kind of situation when you move to a new area as well and making friends and and how they evolve and who they end up being. Yeah, and this area is, you know, it's amazingly creative souls
1: that live in this area and I'm always attracted to people who are creative and come up with ideas and have things, you know, happening and however big the project. And um, it's funny because this group of friends, we um, always celebrate each other's birthdays and there's a theme you know, like it might be a tea party and then everyone, you know, dresses up in big, big white dresses and we're prancing along the, the hills. And, you know, there's no alcohol involved. It's literally, um, you know, the highs of life of just being, you know, in touch with your child inside. And, you know, it's, it's a really lovely free sort of um, friendship that's, yeah, childhood, like it's like a childhood I'm reliving.
0: I was actually going to ask you about that because, again, one of the things that I always get a sense of when I meet you and even, again, just through Mm. Instagram, which always sounds so terrible to Mm. say that you feel that you know somebody through Instagram, but anyway, um, is that you do seem like a very joyful person Mm. and that you look to the positive in life and that you enjoy having fun and being silly and um, I mean, even I remember at the photo shoot, you know, you're you're very quick and happy and easy mm. to kind of feel a bit silly if you want or yeah. or whatever. Is that something that's always been part of you or something that you have made, you know, an effort mm. to kind of know I'm going to have this in my life or I'm going to be like this or is it just something that's innate in you? I think it. I think it's slightly like a little stress relief for me almost, you know, when
1: I tend to have a little bit of silliness that comes out you know if it's if I'm feeling like anxious about anything or or, or sometimes it's just feeling joyful it's like this a big emotion I, I, I tend to just you know tap into that little child you know your inner child and feel the playfulness and um, yeah embrace that I think it's I think it's a really healthy way to be I mean I meet some older people that are you know in their 80s and 90s and, and they are the best company when they've got the silly little element about them that you know they can be joyful and not take life too seriously and um, it's just I feel like it's it's something that I find really attractive in other people as well because it's it's almost contagious like if someone's a little bit silly or a little bit happy it can move a whole load of people to be in that zone and that's what I find about these friends is that you know once someone dons the silly hat and starts prancing across you know it's like them the movement everyone joins in and and um it's a really happy uplifting place to be yeah so i it's a big part there's, a, there's obviously a little theatrical element there um i used to love acting when i was at school and um i love a hat and a wig and a, you know i feel as soon as you put it on you're you can be a different person and
0: yeah it's probably a little
1: yeah release for me
0: yeah no it's interesting Mm. I think it's a it's a wonderful quality to have thank you and um and so I guess sort of looking back a little bit Mm. we just spoke about your childhood but as you mentioned you've got four children and um what are the things that are really important to you in terms of how you bring them up and the values that you Mm. impart on them what's 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 your kind of hope or what you try and instill in them
1: well I think family values I mean my my family my father was very big on you know the Sunday lunch and so that was no matter where we were it was always a time to get together and you know have lay the table properly with the dinner plates and the special cutlery and um so that sense of ritual that you know I, I feel like that we've lost a lot of that in, in families and the way that we are now so I I've Family is really important to me and I guess that, that Sunday lunch is still a big... Actually, every dinner for us is a really big deal. You know, we lay the table, we sit down, we, I make it pretty and a lot of conversations happen there. So, um, and I think this where we live and the range is is a place that really helps us to live as a family really nicely. There's enough space, um, there's something for everyone to do um, so we've, I guess, we've really nurtured that and created that in our lives, um, community as well. I think by having the farm and, um, you know, having that sense of helping other people and, and, a, and a chance of giving back is is really a, a really important um, value to have. Um, what's the question around the? It was well. <laughs> I've gone sidetracking now. No, 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 no
0: that's fine. Yes. Well, it's about the, you know, with your children. Oh yeah what are the things that are really important to you in terms of like yeah. your values and, and how you bring them up? So the, the obviously
1: nature is a really big part in our life and, you know, we really enjoy nature. I mean, we look over it every day here and I think that has really driven us to have a, an element of sustainability and a consciousness around looking after the planet for future generations. And so they are our future generations. So... Um, we try and talk to them a lot about those elements of sustainable living and, you know, have that as an interaction in our life on a daily basis, whether it's not using plastic or generating our own solar power or um, using fallen trees on the property to create firewood. Um, They're just... That's a really important value, I think, just to know that, you know, the natural resources of the earth will run out if we don't take care of them and they're our future custodians so it's up to us to help educate them
0: yeah, yeah. and I, I also have to ask um you obviously have a really beautiful aesthetic on your Instagram mm. and seem very considered with how what you share and uh, you know the way that you capture images what are some of the things that you think about and how you use Instagram and and how mm. that's good for you what you enjoy about it what you don't maybe yeah. or you know how you use it well I, I had a private account for many years
1: and it was when when I had Charlie so our oldest son, I, I was doing a lot of painting and then it, it wasn't practical to do a lot of painting so that's when I really s- sort of studied photography and I went to the Australian Centre of Photography and um, just loved it and the instant gratification of photography and I'd always loved composition so it's, it was very easy to do with children. And then, of course, I ended up taking photos of children and portraits. And I was doing my own children, and then friends would. And I had this sort of business of portrait photography for a while. And so I had this private Instagram account. And then people would say, You should share your images, they're so beautiful. And um, I went, Oh, I don't know if I want to be public. And I thought about it and I thought, Well, I don't have to have all the intimate elements of my life or things I don't necessarily want to share. And so I actually started a album every year. So I would take photos on Instagram. This is when it was private. And at the end of the year, I would put those images in an album. And it was like my year, you know, recorded on Instagram. And then um, so when I sort of opened it up to the public, it, it was really lovely to curate that year with a bit of a purpose in mind, which was my family album, but also all the things that, you know, maybe there was an opening at the farm or something big happened there that was recorded. And so for me, the important thing was it was a beautiful image. And so although maybe, you know, people would criticize me for it it all looks very curated, that's who I am. You know, I want things to look beautiful. I see the world very, very much through aesthetic eyes you know I want it to look beautiful um and so I'm okay with that and if you know I don't want to share the messy laundry cupboard and I don't want to share the negative things because that's not how I operate in life you know I try and see the positive so for me my Instagram feed is very authentic and and I hope that it is beautiful too um I haven't had many negative comments. I think there was one about a tree. We planted a tree once that wasn't native. All right. And, you know, I was okay with that too because the story, the tree was a Canary Island palm and the first place I ever saw a palm tree was in the Canary Islands and we ended up having a holiday house there growing up for a while. And so it was really important that I had... This tree in my life because it was a connection to my history. And I think once I, I went back to the person and said, you know, this tree is really important for these reasons. And we have planted 10,000 native trees in our Regen project on the farm. And here actually we've started planting too. I, You know, not that you have to justify it, but, you know, that that's okay. You know, just to have the few comments. And if you can come back with something, um, just to yourself, even just justify it. You don't have to say it on Instagram. Um, it's it's your page to do what you want and you shouldn't worry about what other people think too much.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's a lovely note to, to finish on. But before mm. we go, I did want to ask you a few questions that um, I would ask people on my yeah. blog, Daily Imprints that I created for many years. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this podcast, in many many ways, is a continuation of that space. So, I um, it's just a fun kind of quick answers, whatever kind of comes to your mind. So, um, let's let's just start with them. So, what five words or which five words best describe you? Would you say?
1: Well, I think I think fun. I try and be fun, and I I think fun. So, and we were talking about that a little bit earlier. I think that's that's definitely one I'd like to have in my Little five. Um, I'm very loyal as a friend, and I, I I, guess to a certain extent, I love that back, the loyalty back. But um, yeah, so I'm loyal. Um, I'm determined. So everything that I do is with that strong sense of, I'm gonna do this. Um, and I'm active, very active. So I've got high energy, and um, it does pitter at times. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to think I'm, you know, active. And, yeah, so yeah, I think that's fine.
0: Great. And uh, we've sort of touched on this a little bit, but maybe if you just give a little bit of an overview, how did you get your career start and what path have you taken since? So what have been some of, like, the, the key stepping stones along the way?
1: And My career started really with that, left field poetry writing for my CV, which got me noticed because I didn't do the traditional CV. So I think that's a great thing, to, to not always go down that, oh, my God, that's what I think I should do, um, which led me, you know, into a career that really, even though I'm not doing advertising now, it, it certainly has formed a great basis for everything that I've done. I'm so pleased that I had that foundation. Um, the stepping stones were, um, you know, being brave as, you know, job opportunities came about, um, knowing that you've got to sort of step into your power a bit and, you know, that job might seem a little bit scary, but, you know, just take that risk. What's the worst thing that could happen?
0: Yep, no, it's great. And what's the best lesson you've learned along the way? Um,
1: definitely to trust your gut instinct. So to go back to that thing that we know innately in ourselves and trust it. I agree with that. What's your proudest career achievement? I think leaving a a legacy project with the farm at Barron Bay, um, which, you know, I co-created with my husband. It's such a lovely thing to have done together.
0: Yeah, it is. What's been your best decision? Oh, it probably sounds a bit cliche, but
1: definitely making that um, move to Byron Bay. (laughs) I mean, the tree change, all the sea change, it's both really from Sydney um, and coming here to, I mean, we had to let go of a lot of things, you know, the schools that we thought we were going, you know, the children were going to, to our our beautiful house that we had there. You know, there were a lot of, at the time, sacrifices, we weren't sure, but um, there is no doubt in my mind every day that we are happy here. Yeah, and um, who inspires you? I think anyone that follows their dreams because it takes a huge amount of bravery to do that. Yeah, and what are you passionate about? I'm definitely passionate about the future of the planet and leaving a legacy for future generations.
0: Which person, living or dead, would you most like to meet? Well, this is a funny one because it's a... Carolyn Pessette.
1: Oh, okay. Do you, do you know of Carolyn Pissette? Who's married to uh, John F. Kennedy yes. Jr. Yes. And when I was younger, I mean, unfortunately, she's not alive anymore, but I thought she had the most incredible style. And I just wondered what her life was like. Cause she just seemed like this really shy person but really strong and i would love to have sat down and had a conversation with her
0: Yeah, fascinating what dream do you still want to fulfill
1: i definitely think there's another book coming and um i've learned my lessons with the first one it's it was definitely my foundation to learning about books and writing and um, i'm excited about creating something that is um, really about
0: my aesthetics. Okay, yeah. I look forward to seeing what you create. Yeah. And what are you reading? I'm reading um,
1: The Secret Network of Nature um, by Peter Wollum-Ben and he also wrote The Hidden Life of Trees. Oh, yes,
0: we've and got that
1: one. You've got that one? Yeah. And I just love this idea of nature talking to each other in a subtle way. And we really are all connected. And I think these books are just beautiful insights to a world that we look at and think, oh, it's really not communicating, but actually it is. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much, Emma. It's been so fascinating to learn a little bit more about you. It's, um, as I say, I mean, we've met, you know, quite a few times Mm -hmm. over the past couple of years and even at your previous home as well. But Mm -hmm. it's, um, I've really really enjoyed this conversation. So thank you so much. Thank you. Likewise. (laughs) Lovely chatting. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this interview and I look forward to sharing more with you over the coming weeks. If you've enjoyed listening to Imprint, it would mean so much to me if you could please hit subscribe wherever you're listening to it today, as well as rate and review it and spread the love on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram at Natalie Walton, and I will also share show notes for this episode at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. And just a reminder that if you pre-order still, you will receive some exclusive gifts. All the details are also over at my website. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast and the people of the Bunjalong Nation where it was created. I look forward to meeting you again next time. I'm Natalie Walton, and you've been listening to Imprint.